grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's begin verse 17. <clears throat> Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Join me as we pray. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, we come to you, our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Pray that you would unstop ears that refuse to hear, that you would bring the scales away from eyes that won't see. We pray that genuine change, conversion, would happen. We pray that you'd find us faithful as a church. We thank you for putting us in this community. We thank you for this time. We thank you for this location, for the hundreds of thousands of people around this church. We pray, God, that you would move in such a way that the gospel would be heard. We ask you to help us now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. A childhood accident calls Elizabeth Barrett Browning, she would take the name Browning, a childhood accident caused Elizabeth Barrett to spend most of her life as a semi-invalid. Because, because of her frailty, because of her condition, Elizabeth's mom and dad, and especially her dad, they were overbearing and overprotective. As Elizabeth grew, she fell in love with a man, a man that her mom and especially her dad did not approve of. When she fell in love with Robert Browning, her father told her, if you marry that man, I'll disown you. If you've got a teenage daughter, you know that's a dare. So she did marry him. But she was forced to marry in secret because her father was filled with rage and disowned her completely. It got so bad that she and her new husband, Robert Browning, moved to Italy. But in Italy, she longed for her family. Mom and dad, they, before that, had a good relationship, so she started writing letters when she was in Italy. In her letters, she would write of her love for her mom and her love for her dad, her devotion to her family. And although her mom and dad had disowned her, Elizabeth had never given up on reconciling. Almost weekly, almost weekly, she wrote to her parents, those letters are filled with love and affection. Those letters are filled with her begging her mom and dad for reconciliation. 
In all the years of her writing to her mom and dad, in all of those years, they never one time responded to her letters. Not even once. A few years later, Elizabeth heard at the door a thud in her home in Italy, and she went to the door, and a postman had delivered a box from America. And inside of that box were 10 years' worth of letters that her mom and dad had never opened. Today, you can read those letters. The letters of Elizabeth Barrett Browning are some of the most beautiful examples of classic English literature in existence. And if only her parents had read the letters, they could have been saved years and years of heartache, brokenness, and estrangement. In a very real way, God has given us a message of reconciliation. God has put that message in us according to this passage. He has entrusted that in us, and he has made us messengers. And Paul will say ambassadors, and truly it means missionaries for the king. We live in a community and in a world where there are people all around every one of us, every one of you, people all around this church. We can see the cars passing on the street. God has put this church in this place to be an ambassador for the king. We've been given the key to unlock the joy the hearts of people that comes in the gospel of Jesus. And you and I must put our hands to the plow and open our mouths. Because, because the message of the gospel is reconciliation. Message of the gospel, reconciliation. I'll tell you what let's do. Let's go through the passage and just pick out some things that might be helpful and meaningful as we think about what it means and how to or why to be on mission, then we'll come back and make some application. Here's the first one. Number one, <clears throat> number one, our message is driven by hope. Our message is driven by hope. Christianity is a religion not of condemnation. Christianity is a religion of hope. We find our life and hope in Jesus. Let me show it to you right there in verse 17. It's just verse 17 is overflowing with hope. Notice what it but the text says in verse 17, <clears throat> Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, Paul's right there. If anyone, look, there is no sinner too far gone. There is no heart too hardened. There is no person too lost. There is no neighborhood too bad. There is no family too busy. There is no barrier too high. There is no chasm too deep. There is no sexual sin so twisted that the cross of Christ can't redeem you from. Overcome that. If the text says, if anyone, man, this gives me confidence to be able to speak to people. This, this gives us confidence to be able to engage the communities where God has put us. We live in a culture of death and Jesus has the words of life. Now look, maybe, maybe, maybe you don't see yourself as a person with a message. Maybe you're an introvert. 
Or maybe you're an extrovert, but you just don't bother to witness. Maybe you don't see yourself as a person with a message. Verse 17 says, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, if you are in Christ, you see that little phrase, in Christ? You have a circle with that little phrase. That little phrase sums up as briefly and as profoundly as possible the inexhaustible significance of being a Christian. This is not just some lifestyle you're following. This is a transformation. You are in something. In Christ, we have several things. In Christ, we have security. We have security in him. What does that mean? That if you are in Christ, I want you to pay attention now if you're a Christian. If you are in Christ, he has borne on his body the judgment for our sin. The judgment you think you might, the condemnation you think you deserve for your sin, God does not judge you for your sin. God has judged Jesus. There is great security in this. Your sin is forgiven. Christ took the punishment for your sin. You've been made free. Not only that, if you are in Christ, we have acceptance. Acceptance in Christ. God accepts us in Christ. Be careful how you talk about God accepting you. Please don't say God accepts you the way you are. He does not. He rejects you the way you are. Please don't say God accepts me the way I am. He does not. We are sinners outside of the grace of God if we don't have Christ. He rejects. Please don't tweet that, by the way. I need it in context. Put that out there. There is only one person who ever lived with whom God is well pleased. That is Jesus Christ. And the gospel says the only way God looks at us and is well pleased is if we are in Christ. And if you are in Christ, that means you are covered with his righteous life. We have acceptance in him. Look, we have assurance in him. If you are in Christ, you have assurance. Here at Hickory Grove and any church that is orthodox and believes the Bible, this is what we believe, that Jesus Christ died on the cross in the place of sinners on a Friday. That Friday when the sun went down, they took him from the cross, laid him in a tomb, that day was a Saturday. He kept the Sabbath completely that Saturday so that he now is my Sabbath. My rest is in Christ. On the third day, which is a Sunday, God raised him from the dead. This is why we go to church on Sunday. It's the Lord's Day. It's the first day of the week. We start with the resurrection of Jesus. God raised him from the dead, and there in Christ is our assurance. Look, when we baptize people, we're up yonder in that pool up there. We baptize people. You'll hear there's a formula that, that most of the pastors will say, and it's the right one. You are buried with him in baptism. So we are within Christ, buried with him. Old self, gone is what this text says, gone. We are raised in new life. There is assurance in him. Not only that, verse 17 tells me there is, there is cause to rejoice. We rejoice in him. The text says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a Look at the phrase, a new creation. That's an amazing statement right there. We wish we had time to talk about that right there, that you are not the same person you used to be. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. To reiterate it right there, Paul says, the old has passed, and as he's saying it, he inserts this one word, behold. You ought to circle the word behold. He says, the old has passed, behold. Like, can you believe it? Can you believe that God did this for me? 
Behold, the new has come. You, you see that little word, behold? That is the, uh, the feel of, of, of spontaneous joy. Verse 17, verse 17 is the biography of every Christian here. If your Bible has a margin and you don't mind write, writing in that margin, you ought to put my biography by verse 17 because that is your story. Our message is driven by hope. <clears throat> I'm give you a second thing to consider. We'll move a little quicker. Number two, our message is founded on grace. Grace. Our story is the story of grace. Christianity, rightly understood, is the story of God's grace. Christianity, rightly understood, is not you keeping the right laws so that God will love you. Look, God's law is important. We don't reject God's law. Ten Commandments, God's law in the Old Testament, it, it's useful. God's law shows us his character. God's law shows us what he expects by way of holiness. God's law shows us how to live. God's law restrains evil. God's law points out to us our need for Christ. It is useful, but it won't save you. God's law will not save you. Our message is not founded on God's law. Our message is founded on grace. Let me show you where I get that in verse 18. <clears throat> All this is from God. Look at that phrase. Can you believe that? All this is from God. What is Paul saying? That God is the initiator. God is the, is the initiator and the finisher of our faith. That reconciliation comes from God. Reconciliation takes us back to God. You know the story if you've read the Bible. You get to Genesis, you open it up to page one, and you start reading. And there you see God, the good creator who created everything. He steps back and says, it's good. He creates Adam, the man, in his image. He creates Eve, the woman, in his image, so that the man is created in the image of God, and the woman is created in the image of God. He takes them and puts them in this perfect paradise. The temperature is just right. I know it because they're not wearing any clothes. The Garden of Eden is perfect. Things are going well, and in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve fall into rebellion, into sin. It's a terrible thing, and immediately they know this is wrong. Try to cover themselves and hide because they hear God walking in the cool of the day. And the first thing you hear God say after the fall of Adam and Eve is, Where are you? And ever since that day up to this day, God is seeking. God is calling. God is the seeker. God is the, is the sovereign mover of all the events of your life. God has been arranging all of the events of your life to bring you up to this moment so that you might see your need for Jesus Christ. All of the things that you've gone through, that's God doing that to turn your face to Christ so that you might believe. Or it might be that uh, God has been moving and arranging all the events of your life to bring you up to this point so you will finally share the gospel. He's been working in that person's life so that they are ready to hear what you are going to say. But listen, God doesn't, just God doesn't just initiate reconciliation. God completes it. You know, I forgot something. Go back. Let's go back to verse 17. Let's go pick up. I won't stay there long. Let's go back to verse 17. 
one of the, the, verse 17 has one of the great promises in the Bible. There is power in verse 17. The text says that when you come to Christ, you are a, you have been made a new person, that the old you, whatever that was, it's gone. You don't have to drag that past around with you. I don't care if you got, if you got pictures of it, tear them up. The old is gone, the text says, and the new has come. You know how that happens? God does that. God transforms us. He changes us. He reprograms you. This, this passage has the word reconciliation. Verse 18. Oh, I'm done with verse 17. Verse 18. What a great word, verse 18. It's reconciliation. Five times in the passage, verses 18 to 21, you'll find that word over and over again. It's one of the most beautiful words to describe becoming a Christian. And there are lots of great words to describe becoming a Christian. One of the, one of the best words is the word justification. You ought to find out about that word justification. Justification comes from the courtroom. It is courtroom language. It is God as the holy judge and us standing before God. We have been sentenced because we've been found guilty and sentenced to death. Rightly, just, justfully sentenced to death and the idea is that God who has given us the sentence, now then, through Jesus, his son, Jesus strides into the courtroom, stands in front of you, and absorbs that sentence. And the perfect one, Jesus, turns and gives you his righteous clothing so that you walk out of that courtroom justified. It's a beautiful word. There's another word that describes being a Christian is the word sanctification. Sanctification, you probably heard, it means to be made holy. Sanctification is a word you might find not in the courtroom, but, but in the temple, especially in the Old Testament. Temple worship. To enter into the presence of God, a priest had to be sanctified. The way that a person was sanctified was through the death of an animal, the, the, the blood sacrifice. Why sacrifice? To remind us the cost of sin. And the sacrificial system in the Old Testament is there as a foreshadowing of Jesus. And the word sanctification reminds us that Jesus Christ shed his blood on the cross. And when he did, the, the temple curtains torn from top to bottom so that we have access, we have been sanctified through what Christ has done for us. It's a great word for Christianity. Leave the temple worship away from the courtroom Come down a little bit. Go down the hill. Back close to the river, that's where you'll find the slave market. There's the word redemption. Redemption is an earthy word for being saved. Redemption is the idea of, of you being stripped completely of your clothing. You're filthy, caged up. Nobody knows your name. Nobody knows who you are. Nobody really cares if you're a slave. God in his goodness goes down the hill and he sees you there caged up. There's nothing about you that makes him want you. It's, it's all love from him. And yet he puts his love on you. Even though there's nothing that would make him look at you, he does that. But it's going to take more than just what he has in his pocket. It, it's a high price. Be the cost of his son, Jesus. Jesus Christ dies on the cross and it is that price that purchased, that redeems us. He redeems us. He buys us out of the slave quarters and picks us up and puts clothes on us, cleans us up, carries us home. 
there at home, he says, all of this now is yours. You are my child. That's the word adoption. Adoption is a beautiful word for being a Christian. Why? Because we are orphans in this world. The people ride by the orphans in this world have no real hope, but by the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, we are made the children of God. We become his family. Look, I've just listed four beautiful words for becoming a Christian. But none match reconciliation. Reconciliation is, is friend language. It's, it's family language. It's broken heart. But coming back. And the thing is, in, in, in us being reconciled to God, the offended party is not us, but God. That God is the offended party. God is the one who is angry. God is dreadfully angry at our sin because of how we've treated him. We haven't thought of him. He's the one that is offended, and yet even as the offended party, he takes the initiative. Jesus has has crossed the divide. God has solved the problem. And because of the cross, you go from being an enemy of God to being a friend of God. People will ask, what kind of God can send people to hell? It's the wrong question. It's the wrong question. The right question is, what kind of holy God can let sinners live. That's a reconciling God. He has reconciled you because of Christ. And in verse 18, the last part of verse 18, the text says, okay, you've been reconciled. Now he has given you the ministry of reconciliation. Look, there is no, there is no ministry, there is no service to the community that is more crucial and urgent than what is explained right here, the ministry of reconciliation. In fact, explained even further, explained even further in verses 19 and 20, it, it gives us a clear message. I'll make that the third point. I'm going to pick up the pace even further. You ready? Here's number three. Our message is a clear one. A clear one. Let me, let me show what I mean. Verse 18 is a statement. Verse 19 is the explanation. Verse 19 explains Verse 18, what is our message? Verse 19 gives us our message. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. In Christ, this is, a, this is an amazing statement in verse 19. In Christ, God is reconciling the world to himself. Look how broad, look how broad the gospel reaches that, that in Christ God is going after the world. And we thank God that God has brought the world to our doorstep. That if we put a pencil in this church and draw a five mile radius around, it's the world. God has brought them here. The city and the, the nation, we want to be sending missionaries around the world. And not only that, but the text says that, that this ministry of reconciliation is primarily an announcement. You see what I mean by that? 
that here's the announcement. God does not count your trespasses against you. The announcement. God will forgive your sins. It's an announcement. You're going to stand on a corner and preach, that's fine, but you need to preach the announcement. What is that announcement? Let me pause here. <clears throat> I feel like I need to be explicit. I try to every week so we have a handle on the gospel, but here's the gospel as the Bible teaches it. That God is the creator. We have that in Genesis. A holy creator created you in his image. The Im image of God in you means that I respect you. You have dignity because you're created in the image of God. It's why we think of people like us. Well, we treat people well as Christians. They're created in the image of God. But the image of God in us has been disfigured by our sin. You see, we inherited what Adam and Eve had and everybody since Adam and Eve. We inherited the sinful nature. Nobody had to teach you how to sin. You just knew it. It's your nature. Nature is to sin. It's not just our nature. We also sin. We commit sins. It puts us in bad standing with the holy God. It's not just that he frowns upon our sin, but sin is a crime against God. He judges sin. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. It puts us in a terrible spot. But God is not just a judge. He is also a kind, loving God. God in his love has given us Jesus. Here's the Christian gospel. This is why Jesus is perfect life and death matter. Jesus comes and he lives as a man to save men and women. Had to live perfect because we can't. We needed that righteousness. He comes and lives perfectly, keeps all of God's law, perfect fellowship with God. And at the cross, this is what happens. At the cross, he takes the punishment we deserve. That's the gospel. Jesus dies in the place of sinners. Jesus died in your place. God raised him from the dead three days later. And the promise of the gospel is, if you will turn from your sin, if you will repent, if you'll turn and believe that, he'll save you. And if you have been saved by the gospel message, verse 19 says that he now, look at, look at verse 19, he has entrusted that to you. Your version may say, he deposited that in you. And then verse 20 Paul says, if that's the case, then you are an ambassador. Not just, not just on behalf of God, but for God. In fact, this is an amazing, uh, the phraseology here is amazing to me. Verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. And here's how he describes it. God making his appeal through us. Can you imagine that the only time you can be sure that you are actually, actually speaking for God is if you're reading the Bible out loud, you know, that's God's word, or if you're sharing the gospel, it's the message of reconciliation. And here Paul says, that is God speaking through you. And he's, here, here's the appeal. We implore you. We, this, the, the phrase is, we beg you. On behalf of God, or on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Through Christ, be reconciled to God. Let me pause and just say, look, if you're not a church member here, really anywhere, I just want to use the language of the Bible and say, I want to I beg you. Beg you to, to think deep. You've heard the gospel, you're accountable for that. God has brought you here this morning. God has brought you into this fellowship, this family, so you might hear it. 
so that you might turn from your sin and believe Jesus, to put your, put your faith in what Jesus has done. There are two things there in verse 20, two things. The first one is <clears throat> we have an obligation to faithfully and precisely proclaim the message given to us by God. That's why it feels like rote. That's why you'll hear me go, God, man, Christ, response. I want you to have the categories to understand God is holy, man's a sinner, Jesus will save, it takes faith. We want to be able to share the gospel correctly. But that's, it's not enough just to have the information. Verse 20 at the very end, we must have a deep, concern for people. Yeah, I mean, you feel it in the language, don't you? When he says, we implore you, be reconciled to God. In that passage, there is, there is love for people, there is concern for people. Look, how hard do you have to be to be able to ride by your neighbors and think, it's all right if they go to hell. Do, you, do we not believe in hell? Believe that Without Christ, people live these miserable lives. And here Paul is urging the church of Corinth in this terrible town to step out. Look, it's, it's, why, we take a, <clears throat> it's why we take a month to remind ourselves that, that here we are, just, let's use the language of the text, here we are at the embassy. Good to come to the embassy. Good to come to church, to worship, to be strengthened, to fellowship, to have the love that comes from being around other Christian people. We don't stay at the embassy. The king has sent us out as ambassadors. He's given us a ministry of reconciliation. We, we have a message to deliver. Our message is it's driven by hope. Our message is it's founded, it's built on grace. Our message is a clear one. I'll end here, the fourth point in verse 21, so beautiful. Number four, our message is the glory of the gospel. Glory, I didn't know, I didn't know how else to say it. I'm not very creative, so I just, our message is the glory of the gospel because I want you to take verse 21. There is no sentence more profound in the entire Bible, in verse 21, in these 15 words, Paul sets forth the ministry of reconciliation in all of its mystery, in all of its wonder. Let's close with it. Let me just go through it. You keep looking at verse 21. He starts out like this, for our sake. He did this for you. Don't ever think that God doesn't love you. He did this for you, for our sake. There was nothing about us that attracted his love. He just loved us. That's grace right there. Here is God pursuing for our sake. He made him. He, that's God. He made him. God did this. This is God working. He made him the beautiful, verse 21 is the beautiful exchange. He made him to be sin. Christ took that. He made him to be sin who knew no sin. What you have there is the great exchange, Jesus taking our sin, giving us his righteousness. Here is the picture of, of Jesus who will be counted, he will be counted as the focal point for all 
of the accumulated sins of all the people across all of history that land on Jesus, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that, there's a cause. Why did God do that? You see that phrase? So that, so that in him, that's how you become the righteousness of God. In him, you put your faith in him. In him, we might become the righteousness of God. Here, brothers and sisters, here is the glory of the Christian gospel. Here is the reason we exist. Here is why we are on mission. We are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. This morning as we close, I want to ask you to bow your heads with me in a moment of prayer and a moment of commitment and thinking with me. With your heads bowed this morning as we go to the Lord in a moment of prayer and commitment. I have a three-part invitation I want to offer up today. Three parts. We're going to sing a song, and this is our chance to invite you to come forward, invite you to make a decision to, to respond. For some of you, for the first time, it has clicked in your mind and heart. You need to be reconciled to God. I just want to use the language of the Bible. I implore you, don't let something hold you back. Be reconciled to God on behalf of Christ. If you'll come forward this morning, let us pray with you and talk to you about what it means to give your life to Christ. Pastors are right down here on the front row. I just want to talk to you. Sit on the pew and just talk about what it means to give your life to Jesus. Second part of this is for those of you here that are believers, but you, you maybe had someone pop in your mind. You know someone that needs to be reconciled to God, and God has put that burden on your heart, your mind. Now you need to start praying for them. And you'd like to, this morning when we sing, to come forward and just as an act, a physical act of saying, I want God to move. You want to come forward and pray for that person. I would invite you to do that. We pray that... God will do what he said he will do. Or maybe there's, you're already a believer and really you've just been sort of coming to church and it's been more of a habit or it's been more of a routine or it's been just sort of what you do because you want to be a nice person. And maybe this morning you understand there's more to it. God has called you to be an ambassador and you want to come and pray and maybe ask the pastors to pray with you. Commit your life to being an ambassador for King Jesus. God has spoken in your heart this morning. I invite you to come forward. Father, thank you for your word that is good, for your grace that saves, for your spirit that moves. I pray that you find us faithful as a church, faithful doing what you've called us to do. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand, please, as we sing together?